an honor to speak to you tonight. I'm going to start in Matthew 13. If you've brought your Bible, if you haven't, don't worry, you'll know the story. But uh, you might want to check some of my verses out tonight because, well, I'll get there when I get there. Matthew 13, verse 44 says this. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again, and then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Verse 45, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. When he found one of great value, he went away and sold everything he had and bought it. I find those two verses really challenging. The kingdom of heaven is like that, it's like treasure in the field which you sell all that you can ha- all that you've got to get it. Let me put it in a different uh, story. The kingdom of heaven is like a book that you sell your house, your car, all your expensive clothing, all your expensive training, your trainers, your jewelry, your computers, all that you have, all the other books that you have, you sell them for just one book because it's worth that much. That's what the kingdom of heaven is like. You, you sell all that you have to gain the one thing. I want to talk to you tonight. A talk to you is, is probably overstatement. I just want to share my heart with you tonight. I believe it's time for us to buy treasure. The problem with buying the treasure of heaven is there's a high price tag. It demands everything. If you wanted a nice, peppy talk to get you into lockdown, unfortunately, this is not it. But this is what I had on my heart, and so I'll just share it with you tonight. Um, I remember being back in here in this very building in in, uh, autumn 2011. We had Nathan Morris here, incredible conference that we had. I missed the Saturday, um, but I was here on the Sunday. I missed the Saturday I won't go into that, it's another story, it's another sermon, just what happened on that Saturday. On a Sunday, I was around where Paul was, somewhere, I was playing drums, it looks a bit different now, but I was playing drums up there somewhere, and I hadn't got a clue what happened on the Saturday, but you know, there was healings, the Prince of God was really fit, one meeting just went into another, it was just like one massive encounter with God. So there, and everyone's, I get there on a Sunday, everyone's raving about how great everything's going, I'm going, well, God's good, yeah, we'll just see. I get on the drums and I'm playing, and wow, the Holy Spirit was heavy. I was playing absolutely drunk out, drunk as a skunk in the Holy Spirit. I really was. I could hardly barely play, and yet it was amazing. I think, was it Chris Shaw? I know someone was throwing me a towel which had Nathan Morris's sweat on. I wasn't wanting to put it on eBay or keep it. If I keep that away from me, I don't want that disgusting stuff. But I just remember the glory of God being so heavy. And I remember we got, we got past the worship bit, and Nathan got up to preach, and we're supposed to all get down. And I'm walking as fast as I can, but I'm walking like this because I'm just struggling to stay upright because the glory of God is so thick. I don't know what it was like for everyone else, but for me, I could hardly stand. So I'm there walking very slowly. Jared's probably around there somewhere where Andrew was, and he's like going, come on, come on because, you know, got guest speaker on and I'm still just you know, walking down there. thing is, I can't walk any faster. I'm trying. I'm trying. I just can't get down there any faster. Um, anyway, Nathan turns around, sees that I'm there, and he calls me forward, and I, like, I you know, end up going down the floor like a sack of potatoes, I think you say. Completely overwhelmed the Holy Spirit. At some point, I drag myself up. I, I sit somewhere back there, 
And the Holy Spirit is just all over me. Now, I don't know what your favorite or your best meetings have been, but for me, the most uh, influential, the most life-changing meetings I've ever, been to, I've ever been to, I can't really remember what was preached. I can't remember much of the worship. I've just encountered God. It might have been an amazing preacher. It might have been someone who couldn't string two words together. I wouldn't know because the God, God is just impacting me and talking to me and, and, and changing my life. So anyway, I, w- I was back there and, and God's, ta- God's talking to me. And, and Father says to me, he, say, he says, Chris, I've got a plan for your life, but it's going to cost you your family. That wasn't what I was expecting to hear that wasn't nice. Now, please, we talk about you know, giving everything to Jesus and we mean it very theoretical. Yes, Jesus is number one and everything else is number two. That's not the conversation I was having with Father God that, that, at that point. It was real to me. Chris, I've got a future for you. I've got plans for you, but it's going to cost you your family. I'm like, what the most precious thing to me that I have? But I knew I had to respond. And the holiness of God was so strong that I could not say anything else but just yes. As soon as I said, God, you are Lord, whatever. Nathan, wherever he was, he got back here or something, immediately turned around, called me up. Uh, Dave Bauer, you were there, you were catching me. It's all on YouTube as, as drummer boy, get zapped by the Holy Spirit. But the internal conversation is, I've just encountered God on the seat and now he's doing incredible things with me. My life from that day was completely changed. When I, was, when I sat there on that seat, I, had, I, I know I brought five people to Jesus. At least I think I had. At least five people that said sinner's prayer. I've now lost count. When I was sat in that chair, I, I, could, I could count on, on my hand how many people I got seen healed. One. Now I've lost count. My life was irrevocably changed from that moment. But it was a costly moment. I remember at the end of the meeting driving home and I said this wasn't theory and I'm wondering what's going what's gonna to be like it when I get home after the family pack their bags I, I honestly I was, I was dreading I think I was driving slowly because I just didn't want to get home let me, let me fast forward for those who don't know my family haven't left me. My family are amazing. We are so close-knit together. It's brilliant. I mean, I mean, the boys are, are, are closer as a family than they've ever been. Uh, my daughter is, is in, uh, in the youth at the moment leading worship. My wife, I am so in love with my wife more than ever. I, I, this, this year has got me more in love with my wife than ever before. We are so close. But what was God asking me in, when I was sat in that seat? He was saying this. Do you want to buy some treasure? It's going to cost you everything that you have. Let me clarify. God doesn't want to split up families. God is for families. If you think, if you think God's told you to divorce your husband or your wife because you married the wrong one, that you're listening to the wrong voice. You're listening to something demonic. Get rid of it. However, I know I've seen couples. God's put his hand on, on a couple and because one has followed the voice of God and the other has resisted Couples are split up. I've seen people, couples get together, one gets saved, they get split up. What what am I saying? I'm saying that it costs you all. Jesus said this, if you hold on to life tightly, you will lose it. But when you give it all to me, you will find it. When you hold on to things so tightly, it's it's a bit like Gollum. It's like, my precious. 
I, I, I see it with, with church departments all the time. You know, you, you start talking to them and, and some are like, yeah, this is what we're doing. That's how we're going to do it. And, and they're completely open. And I'm going, brilliant. I can trust you. Just keep going. Keep going. I'll give you more and more responsibility. And then you get a, a department leader who goes, you can't look. It's precious. It's mine. You can't look. And it hurts me because I know at some point I'm going to have to rip that out of that person's hand because it's become their little treasure. And yet if they're open-handed, it's theirs for as long as it needs to be. People don't like me sharing that story. And I, they go, and I think it's because we've lost sight of who God is. Because people will say, God would never, would never give you those kind of questions, would never give you those kind of challenges. And a God of the Western world wouldn't. But the God of the Bible doesn't seem to be the same God. There's the God of, of you know, there's Abraham, the father of faith, and he's asked to sacrifice his son Isaac. Now he doesn't, but he's asked to. There's, there's a story of Job. There's the, the disciples themselves. We, we were reading in our staff meeting. Andrew gave a great word on our staff meeting on Wednesday about the calling of the first disciples. And it says, after they got out their nets, and, they, and, they, and anyway, I won't go to the story, not enough time. But it says, they left everything to follow Jesus. And then this is what Jesus says later in Matthew 19. And, and talking to the 12, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or child or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much much and will inherit eternal life. The cost that the disciples paid was heavy, but they got eternal life. Paul, the Apostle Paul says this, the Spirit himself testifies, we love this verse, with our spirit, but we are children of God and, of, and if children, heirs also, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if there's a big if. If we indeed suffer with him so that we maybe also be glorified with him. We love talking about being a child of God. We love talking about being a co-heir of Christ. Well, I do anyway. But we stop, miss out the if and, and say, but you must suffer with him. What do I mean by that? You need to pay the price. You need to be able to give everything to him. The same Paul writes that Jesus Christ is Lord many times in, in the epistles. Now we miss the significance of Paul writing that because we're in a different culture. When Paul, as a Roman citizen, is writing that Jesus Christ is Lord, he is saying something else. Caesar is not. And in that culture, if he's saying that Caesar is not, it ends up that Paul loses his life. If, if I, I would say the same for us, if Jesus is Lord of our, our lives, then our bank accounts are not. If Jesus is Lord of my life and he says A, then if my wife says B, I still need to do A. If Jesus Christ says to me, you need to go to Argentina, and my family say, no, I still need to go to Argentina. Who is Lord? If, if Jesus says, go to Argentina, I go, well, my bank account says no, I still need to go to Argentina. If Jesus Christ is Lord of our lives, if he is not just the first among equals, he is Lord of our lives, then whatever he says, no matter how 
weird it is to our eyes, no, no matter how much it offends our Western morals, it is the right thing to do. And if I am his disciple, I just have to go and do it. Now, please, if it is a bit crazy and it's a bit odd, please come and speak to your pastor. Don't just go off on a prophetic word and, and because too many people wreck their faith on, on something which God never said. But if God says it, we have to do it. I think, I'm just trying to level with you. I think that in the West, we've become like my tummy, flabby. Does he see it moving? It's a great prop. I've been putting on weight just for this message, just for you. It's been, it's been really hard. We've become flabby and soft because we've not realized or we've forgotten the cost that it, that it paid in people's lives to get where we are. We have a Bible in our own language that we can read. We have multiple translations that we can put on our phone and we can have in our book so much so, but do you know what? I can throw this against the wall and I can just get another one. I, I have put Bibles in the bin. Why? Because I've got too many and I don't want that one. And yet, People died to get us this Bible. For about 1,500 years after the death of Christ in this land, you could not get the Bible in your own, in your own language. People just having a Bible, an English Bible, in your, in your house was a capital offence. That's how serious people, people took the word of God and people paid to have this here. People have paid their lives to, to bring the gospel to areas. People have paid their lives so that you can have freedom to worship God tonight. I am reminded that Jesus said this to, about the Holy Spirit. He said, take heart for the comforter will come. I've never really liked that word comforter and then it hit me a couple of weeks ago. Why did he say the comforter? Because you need a comforter. Who is he speaking to? Let's, let's forget Judas Iscariot. He was speaking to the 11. Forget the 12. We were speaking to the 11. He was saying to the 11, the, the, the comforter, the Holy Spirit will come. What's that mean? That they're going to have comfort? No, but they need comfort because the life ahead of them is not necessarily going to be easy. In actual fact, they're going to go through suffering. They're going to, if the people who hated Jesus will hate him. The people which tried to kill Jesus will try to kill them. They needed a comforter. Out of those 11... Ten were martyred. One, John, ended up on the island of Patmos. According to Christian legend, they couldn't kill him. They tried boiling him in oil and whatever else. I don't know if that's true or not. All I know is that all 11 went through suffering for the gospel. When Jesus said, you will be prosperous, I'm going to give you blessing and favour. It wasn't that they got a new car. It wasn't that they got a promotion in their job. It wasn't that their families were, well, I don't know what happened to their families. What it meant was this, you get treasure in heaven. Jesus never said that we should be accumulating earthly wealth and yet we seem to have a gospel where it says that if you're doing well, you get the better cars or it said you get life really well. And life. Now God does want to bless you. He does want to favor you. But he said this, in this life, you will have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. The depth of your spirituality is not how much stuff I've got. In fact, Jesus said, sell your stuff so you get treasure in heaven. I'm saying this kind of things because we don't really hear about it. Let, let me go back to Jesus. Jesus, in just 
before he's going to be crucified, says this. When I find it, it's gone missing as these things do. John 12, verse 25. The person who loves his life and pampers himself will miss true life, but the one who detaches his life from this world and abandons himself to me will find true life and enjoy it forever. If you want to be my disciple, follow me and where you will go, where I am going. And if you truly follow me as my disciple, the Father will shower his favor upon you. Even though I am torn within and my soul is in turmoil, I will not ask the Father to rescue me from this hour of trial, for I have come to fulfill my purpose, to offer myself to God. I wonder how many of us, if, we, if our soul was in turmoil, torn within, that we would think that we were right in the place that God had us. Where God sees his favor, what God sees as blessing is very different to what we see as favor and blessing. Just like Andrew was, was saying last week, when God says, I give you favor, watch out. It normally means suffering and trial is covering. Just go through the Bible. It happened to Joseph, it happened to Mary, to, to whoever. Let me just finish on this. In Deuteronomy 15, it talks about Israelites becoming slaves of other Israelites. Now, this sounds bad. You know, an Israelite becomes a slave of another Israelite. But let's put it in context. If you were really in debt and you couldn't pay your bills and you were just, you're bankrupt, basically, you're going to die, you're going to starve because there's no social system in, in Israel at this time, what would happen is that you would go to someone you, you would choose and you would, you would basically become their slave, though they had to treat you as a servant, not a slave, and they would take all your property and all that you have, they would then own. Now, that seems bad, but remember, I might have a million pounds worth of property, but I've got 10 million pounds worth of debt. Actually, I'm nine millions up on the deal when when my, the person I give it to takes the debt as well, I've got, as, as well as um, all the stuff I've got. And then becomes the day of the, the year of the Lord's favor. We call it the year of Jubilee. Jesus said, you know, talked about, I've come to bring the, the year of favor. What happened on this year? Well, the slave or the, or the servant, whatever you want to call him, what happened in this year is he got all his debts forgiven, completely wiped off. He got all his property, all his land, his family back. He got it all back. Plus, the person who he was being a servant to had to give him, had to shower him with blessings. So, you know, you might have been only one year away from, from the year of Jubilee, the year of favor. Suddenly, you, you've got all your stuff back, no debt, and you've got a whole load of blessing, whether that's uh, money or, or, or it's, or it's um, wild, uh, livestock or whatever it is. But then there's an odd next part to, to the part in Deuteronomy 15, and it says this. But if the slave decides that they want to stay with the master... Why would you want to do that? I get all my stuff back. My, my debt's paid off. I get a blessing. Why would I want to be still a slave to the master? The master must be really good. It must be so much better to belong to this master than it is for me to live my life on my own, my independence. So if the slave says, actually, I want to stay with you, what did the master do? The master would take them by the ear. I mean, that sounds bad enough. Come here, come here. 
Take him by the ear, put him up to a doorpost and nail and nail into their ear to create a hole. And we assume they put an earring in it. What is all that? This just sounds weird. What's all that about? It's actually a picture of Jesus at the cross. What's happening? Let me go right back to the beginning. You see, you come to Jesus when you are in need. When did the, the people go and become a savior? It's when they were in need. You always come to Jesus because you're in need. That's the way into the kingdom. You realize that I'm a sinner, but I, I need you. And it's when you identify with your need, that's when you access Jesus. There's nothing wrong with coming to Jesus in need. It's exactly how it's supposed to work. But you may have come to Jesus in need and you may have been here for a little while. Then what happens? It becomes the year of the Lord's favor. It's the year of Jubilee. We're here in Jubilee Church tonight. And God says to you, do you want to make it permanent? You've experienced what it's like to be in my family. You've experienced what it's like to, to be a child, a servant coming up to a child in my household. Do you want to continue that relationship? Do you still want me to be your Lord and Master? If you say yes, it's going to cost you everything. You will never get out of this contract. It will cost you everything. Why is it a door frame? Well, if you read on in Deuteronomy, it goes on about Passover. What happens at Passover? There's a door frame where the blood gets put on, the blood of the lamb. What's that represent? It represents the cross. You see, the cross is the doorway into eternal life. The door frame speaks of the cross. Galatians 5 verse 24 says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed their passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. All my passions, all my desires, my dreams, what I want, what I feel deep within. I really want to do this. I really want to be part of that. But I nail that to the cross. What happens at the cross? Chris died at the cross. I nail my passions. I, I nail my rights. And as I get up with eternal life within me, it's no, no longer me that lives, but it's Christ that lives within me the hope of glory. It's not my life anymore when you come to the cross. It's his. I'm his slave. I'm his servant. I'm also his friend it's because he's amazing. Why is it the ear? Psalm 40 verse 6 says this. He's dug a hole in my ear so that I can hear him. Do you know what happened to me after I said yes to Jesus on that, on that chair? Wow, I could hear Ib's voice. It was incredible. It was scary. It was like, can you shut up now? I'd like to get some sleep. It was, oh, do we have to, do we have to be doing this now? I, I, I want to talk to my family. God's voice was so loud. When you say yes to him and give him your entire life. What happened to me when I was over in that seat? This is what I believe happened. A hole was driven in my ear and a big gold earring is now there where I said yes to Jesus and I gave him all that I have everything that he asked me to do after that moment was easy well after, after you've, you've, you've offered up to him the greatest treasure that you have everything else was easy 
See, often when we offer up things, we say, we give it all to you, Lord. We give it to you, Lord. We don't really mean that. We mean we give it to you so that we can have our way and be blessed. What it really means is this. I leave it at your feet. I give it to you. You do with it as you wish.